Let's take our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. During the week of our Bible conference, it seems that uh, on the hearts of God's people, the preachers uh, that, were, that were delivering the Word, the Lord had put a sub, at least a theme that continued several times, a theme of evangelism. And my heart was gladdened by it because I knew what the next text was that we were going to preach on in Philippians chapter 1. It's verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Your conversation is your lifestyle, your schedule, your rhythm. Some have called it manner of life. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Every single member of Hope Baptist Church ought to be involved in regularly exercising himself or herself in leading the lost to Jesus Christ. Uh, each of us should be doing this, is what we promised to do before God and God's people when we joined the church. We said, I promise to love God's people, to pray for them, and to work together with them to see souls one to Christ. And I'm glad to tell you that that is something that does not come because individuals decide that they just feel guilty enough. They decide to do it because someone pressured them. When we work together to see souls one to Christ, it is a natural outpouring of the Spirit of God working in us. You don't have to work it up. All you have to do is yield. Yield to the Spirit, and He will fill you. Notice the several different areas. I've got three main parts that I see in verse 27. And I know that you're wiped out if you've been here all week. Man, you're probably really tired. I'm going to do my best to keep you awake. I've got clowns. We've got juggling. We've got uh, a unicycle. It's going to be coming in here kind of emphasizing the, the unity of the spirit and the body. And uh, they'll be coming in here soon. So stay awake with me. All right. Are you ready? Okay, three main points, priority, consistency, and unity. Starting with priority, he said, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Becometh, what does it mean? Aesthetically befitting. Does that help? Uh, how about this? What goes together? Right? Does this tie go with this suit? Sometimes I ask my wife. Right? Uh, sometimes I'm not man enough to ask my wife because I don't want to change. I'm just going to wear what I'm wearing. You wear what you wear. Amen. I'll wear what I wear. But sometimes if I'm feeling like, and I want to hit this thing, I'll ask her. And uh, sometimes I ask my daughters. It, it, but the word becoming means it goes well. It matches nicely. It fits. Uh, you ever heard of the, 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 the place down south, Wanda's Hair Salon? Her motto was, if your hair is not becoming to you, you becoming to us. Isn't that good? Becoming. It is, it's, it goes well. It goes, it fits, right? And, and so here, he said, let your conversation be. What's conversation? Your life, your, your, your schedule, your rhythm. Let it be as becometh the gospel. Okay, so I don't normally say to my wife, does this suit go with this tie? Why? Because it's assumed 
that we're going to fit the tie to the suit. Now, not everyone does that. People like Pastor Jim Alter, I have no idea how he does what he does. I don't know what his, you know, his ratio is or whatever, his rubric, if you will. But I know this. I know that typically we say, you know, we buy a suit, it costs more than a tie. Uh, your best ties are going to cost, I mean, for me, in my world, uh, the most expensive tie I've ever seen is around $100, maybe $125. Uh, now, some of you, you've seen ties maybe that are in the hundreds, thousands, I don't know. Suits normally uh, will cost somewhere, a cheap suit, around $150. You can go higher than that, you know, as high as you want to go. But the suits are more expensive. They're more important. They're more functional. They're more uh, portable in the sense of you can, flexible is a better word. You can change and put all kinds of different accessories and so forth. But the suit is what determines uh, kind of the foundation of it. And then you add the suit, the tie-in. Now, ladies, I don't know what you do. I don't know how you, you know, the colors, the seasons, the, all the rest of it. I don't know. And uh, I'm glad that you do. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But, but it's, you typically would not buy and maybe some people do, uh, buy an entire outfit to go with a certain piece of jewelry. Now, some people do. Maybe the jewelry is very expensive. But you understand the concept of priority. He said, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. Everything in my life should evidence the fact that I am a child of God, that I have been saved. A lot of questions will be settled about what's right, what's wrong, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. If, if I would just ask the question, does it go good with the gospel? Does it become the gospel? See, a lot of, here's what a lot of Christians do. A lot of Christians try to fit the gospel into their already packed schedule. And they get discouraged and, and because it's really hard. There's not a lot of time. The gospel isn't supposed to be an ornament for my life. My life is supposed to be an ornament for the gospel, right? Imagine if you're one of those Baal worshipers and you have a Christmas tree in your house and all you had was one ornament and, and you said, this is, this is what I, I decorate with this ornament. You know what happens? You, you decorate the tree with an ornament. What's more important, the ornament of the tree? You say, well, a tree. Well, then let's just get a tree and put a tree in, and we're good to go. Any minimalists here this morning? Tree, that's it. Whoosh, nothing else. Well, no, the tree is important, right? Yeah, as if you're, you know, if you're going to be a heathen, yeah. The tree is important. The ornament is what makes the tree look prettier, if that's possible. Here's the, here's the point. The gospel of Jesus Christ is rock-solid truth. And it, it, it claims this, it claims that only through Jesus Christ, only through his death and burial and resurrection, can any man, woman, boy, or girl get to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The gospel makes that truth. It's there, whether anyone believes it or not, whether anyone thinks it's true, whether you're an atheist, whether you're a, a born-again believer, it doesn't, the truth continues. But you and I have an opportunity, an opportunity to highlight that truth, to somehow make that truth more accessible and more beautiful to other people around us. When we let our life, our rhythm, our world revolve around the gospel. You know, what we, we honestly think, and here's the danger of ever having any kind of a, 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 an evangelistic opportunity or an emphasis on soul winning, is that people think that it's about, 
getting to the church at that time. You get to the church, 7 o'clock, and you go out for an hour, two hours, and are you, do you care about souls? Of course I do. I went to visitation. I went to soul winning. But if you're not careful, that has a way of ornamenting your normal life. You're supposed to flip that upside down. Everything in my life should be about the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. My life should be different as a result of that. Laodicean Christianity says um, it's all about a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I know him and I love him and and that will never change. I'll never forget what he did for me. But I'll also never allow what he did for me to disrupt my world. I'm not going to live my life based on that. I got things to do. I got money to make. I got places to go. And, 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 and so instead of the gospel being the center of our life, me and my schedule, my conversation is the hub of my life. And I try to make sure I slap Jesus a high five on the way around sometimes. You need to flip that. Christ is our life. And if you can think about your daily 24-hour period that you have as an opportunity to showcase the gospel and let all of your hobbies fit in around it. Where do you normally go? And what does that mean? It doesn't mean we can't go on vacation. It doesn't mean we can't go to the park. It doesn't mean we can't have a nice car. It means that the reason I go to the park is because I want to worship my God. And while I'm there, I want to share the love of Jesus Christ with other people at the park. Sounds like a bad idea, I guess. Let me scratch that out. It doesn't mean I can't go on vacation. It means that when I go on vacation, I'm not running and getting out of church in my schedule so I can finally have some time to myself. It means that I'm thinking maybe God will use me in this alternate location where I normally am not to see someone and maybe help them see Jesus Christ. It means when I get a car, I'm thinking about how I can use this car in the gospel. It means when I, when I get a raise... I'm not thinking, finally, those idiots up there realize my worth. I'm saying, thank you, God. How can I leverage this extra money to see more people one to Jesus Christ? It means my profile on social media is not all about how cool do I look and how how interesting does my life appear to other people. I'm thankful that I have X amount of followers, and I want to take all those people if I can, and I want to point them to Jesus Christ in some way. It's also the reason sometimes it, the social media is not such a great platform for that. Why? Because somebody said, I read an article yesterday, uh, part of an article, I'm going to go back and read it, finish it. Snow White, he's talking about mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all. And in other versions of the story, Snow White is not looking at the mirror. She's holding a handheld mirror and she's interested in two things. She's interested in being flattered and she's interested in checking up on what everybody else is doing in the kingdom. <laughs> I thought, man, is that a phone or what? We've got a phone that flatters us. Make sure that, yes, we are still the center of the world, right? And then we also want to check on everybody else. You see, that's, that's how the average American is being funneled to live their lives. Why? Because it is easy to make money that way. It's easy to make money. Christians, we are not here for our lives to center around our hobbies and our interests or even our families. 
No, it's not, oh God, thank you for my family. Now I can have a nice family and we can all have fun together because it's all about me having the member. No, it's saying, Lord, thank you for the family. God's given me someone I can help to work with to see souls one to Christ. My spouse, I can pray with her and we can talk together about our struggles with getting the gospel out. We can talk about how we want to, we want to see people reached and we can say, hey, do we have people around us that we could bring into our home? We can invite to go with us. I've got five disciples that have been born into our family. Potential disciples. And my job is to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Everything I do should be centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your workplace is not, the, you know, the song of the Volga boatmen where they chain you to the oars and you're going. It's not a place of bondage. It's a place of liberty. It is your platform to share the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not trapped in this world because of all the evil and wickedness. You have the power of God in your hand with the gospel and the whole world is your oyster. Everywhere you go, you have something that can, see, that can change the life of any individual you encounter. For eternity. The world says, no, no, no. It's a, it's a highly customized, special, niche hobby that you have called Christianity. Other people have their religions. They have their hobbies and their stuff that they do. They really don't want what I have. Can I remind you that what you have was not yours to begin with? You didn't develop the concept of Jesus Christ. He gave you salvation. And what a blessed gift it is that we have received. And he is going to be inside of you, stirring up, saying, I want to give this to someone else. Priority. My entire Christian life should be centered on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Secondly, consistency. He said, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Now, when he says affairs here, I'm glad to tell you that there are other affairs beside adultery. Amen. I'm tired of hearing about people's affairs. It's wicked. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to live a life where people are talking about what we're doing for Christ. Paul said, whether I'm going to be there in the flesh or, or whether I just am not there, I'm going to hear about it. Hold your place in Philippians. Go back to Colossians 3. Look at verse 22. I'm sorry, forward, forward to Colossians. Speaking to employees, servants, Colossians 3, 22. We've got employees and we've got bosses right here. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart fearing God. And we're going to borrow from this workplace from workplace instruction. He's telling, he's telling servants, employees, listen, don't work just when the boss is around. Work with singleness of heart. What does that mean? When I do something differently, based on who is around, I develop a double mind. I become a fake. I become a hypocrite. Because I normally am a really, really good citizen, 
But when I see a cop car, I'm a really, really good citizen. I normally really watch my speed, but when the police officer is around, I'm, I'm just a little more focused on the speed, right? Isn't that interesting? Why? We all have it within us to, to do our, our service for God with eye service. We're looking around saying, who's here? Who's here? You know, very few people are on their bad behavior when they come to church. I've never seen a husband and wife uh, argue vo- vociferously at church. I've seen kind of the old, you know, kind of the, what is, what's going on, brother? Sister, what's going on? Right? We, why? Because the church people, they're looking at us, right? Now, we argue all the way up to the church. If you're, if you're raised in a, in a Christian home, you know how to do this. You can argue. No, no, I'm sick of it. Good morning, brother. That door slams, boom, I'm a different person. Walk in, thank the Lord, amen. Praise the Lord back in the car. I'm sick of it. Right? We have a way of living with eye service. Who's watching us? You know, the problem with that is that's very human-based. Because the idea is if you can't see me, then it doesn't matter what I do. It's almost like a little kid who is scared and, the, and, and they don't want you to look at them. And so they cover their eyes. Because if I can't see you, you can't see me. Now, here's the thing. As believers, we're not supposed to do it with eye service as men pleasers. Why? Because the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. I'm supposed to be a God pleaser. Because God can see when I go into my room and I do what I do. God can see when I leave the presence of godly people or people who hold me accountable. And I leave them and I go and I do what I do. God goes with you the whole time, the eyes of the Lord. And by the way, that is the secret to any type of practical holiness is recognizing that God sees me all the time. He said, not with eye service as men pleaser. Paul is saying, when, when your life is ornamenting the gospel, not the gospel ornamenting your life, when your life is highlighting an arrow that says, Jesus Christ died and rose again for your sins, when your life is pointing that way, he said, it ought to be not just when the preacher is around or when the other fired up Christians are around, but it's just something that you do. This is one of the challenges for us as believers. First, we sit on the side and we watch other people serve, and then we get involved serving. And one of the first things, if we're not careful when we serve, we're looking around to see who else is serving and who else is not serving. You ever sense that? What is that? That's a double-minded man. That's, that's having a double mind that says, I am going to do what I want on my own time, but when people are watching, I'm going to do what they want me to do. If you could bring those two things together... What would you do? Verse number 22, he says, you would have singleness of heart and you would fear God. You know what that tells us? If you change your actions because of who is present, you don't properly fear God. You fear other people. How does this fit with the gospel? Well, Paul says this is a proactive initiative. This is an individual decision that says, I am going to let my life point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do it when they're preaching about evangelism and when other other guys are around me that have tracts. 
And other Christians are saying, pray for my lost neighbor. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, me too. I want to get, I'm going to do it when everybody else is around. And I'm going to do it when nobody is around. Because I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for him. The consistency. Consistency. Anything in life that's worth doing is going to take a long time. Which means you're going to have to have a lot of reps. Over and over and over and over. And you can't just do it when you feel it. That's why our diets take a nosedive in February, March, and April. Our big plans that we have. Why? Because we're pumped up and then it gets hard. Someone said that an expert, a master in any craft, is the person who continues to do the same correct habits after they're bored. That's, the, that's what separates Olympic athletes from good, high-quality college athletes. The Olympians continue to do it when no one's watching, when they don't want to do it, when they don't feel it. And should we be motivated by the love of Christ? Absolutely. But be careful with that. Because you can develop. I've had people say, I'm not going to church because in my state, God's not going to speak to me anyhow. You ever hear, hear someone say, uh, you know, I just don't want people going to think the, things about me and I don't know what they're going to think about me. Hey, if you can't get right with God at church, where can you get right with God? Don't worry about everybody else and what they think. Don't, don't worry about who's following you. What your heart is like. Come and let God speak to you. Stop having two worlds in which you live. If you shouldn't listen to it at church, maybe you should really think about whether you should listen to it at home. We have too many things, and I understand there's cultural niceties and we appropriateness comes into that. But we have to remember, God wants us to be consistent in our witness. Paul said, I want you to be so, so consumed with the gospel, so consistent with the gospel, that I don't have to be there to say, y'all winning souls? Why? That's what a parent has to do to a child. A child will change his or her behavior based on whether mom or dad is around. I watched a video, a hidden camera video years ago of, a, a, of a, some kids put in a, in a room with chocolate in front of them, some type of dessert. And they said, we're going to let you eat that, but not yet. Just wait. And the adult went out of the room. Anybody see this video? And they had the camera on the kid. And it is amazing. The facial contortions, the, bot, the gestures. You know, the looking away, taking it. It's amazing. No one is there. And you know what? That's what our hearts are like. We all know that when people come around, here's the preacher. Hey, brother. People say things like that to me. I remember one time years ago at, at, uh, at the um, Do It Best Hardware right down the street from where we live. It's a great, great guy there. And, uh, you know, I love, I love the uh, mom and pop stores. That they know everything. They have it all figured out, and they know how to help you. I go in there, and I'm talking to this guy, and he just happens to be cussing up a blue streak for some reason. And I don't know why, but he was, you know, and I walk up, and he's like, you're going to try to fix that window? I was going to fix the screen door, you know, screen window. And uh, he's going to try to fix that screen window? I said, Lord willing. And he said, ain't that the gospel truth? <laughs> right there, amen. He's become all things to all men. <laughs> it's great stuff. But you know, as believers, we can be that way, can't we? I mean, we're in the groove. We are hitting all the favorites with our friends in the, in the world. 
We're doing our own thing. We're living our best life. And then we get around someone else that we think may be a little more committed and consecrated. And we say, I shouldn't stop. You know what you should do? You should allow that to remind you that the Lord is always looking at you. And what I'm talking here is about the gospel. Not just stop doing bad stuff, but keep doing good stuff. Keep giving out the gospel. Now, I thank God for people who come around us and remind us and challenge us and say, hey, you're going to go and you're going to do this? I don't know anybody that went, decided to go out and preach on the street by themselves. Everybody I've ever known has said, I had a friend that said, hey, you want to go with us? And you end up going with them and they kind of put some fire in you and, and you get fired up and you get, get busy. And that's a blessing. And God will use that kind of like starter fluid on your car. But, you know, if you have to spray starter fluid in that engine every single time, you need to get another engine. There needs, to become a, there needs to become a point in your life where you don't have to have someone always around you firing you up. If it's right to do, do it. Why? Because the Lord has his eyes on me. And because I'm personally, individually saved by the love of Jesus Christ. And so I want to be consistent in my witness. Number three. Number three is unity. Unity. This is where we'll spend most of our time. We'll try to roll through this. He said, stand fast, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The world watched breathlessly as the Wild Boars soccer team, made up of 12 young boys and their 25-year-old coach, they were discovered on a ledge deep inside a cave in Thailand. Ten days after it was discovered they had been lost. They were out of food. The batteries in their flashlights had died long ago. And they had survived by literally licking the walls of the cave for moisture. And their coach talked them through it. The New York Times reported that there were 10,000 people involved in rescuing those young men. There's been movies made about it, documentaries made, books written. They say there were 2,000 soldiers, 200 divers, and representatives from 100 government agencies. All of those folks came together from across uh, country lines, governmental lines, religious lines. They say that this diverse group of people, it involved everyone from the international divers to engineers who worked on draining the water to keep it from going into the cave, all the way down to people doing the laundry for the workers. And they all pulled together, why? To rescue 13 people. It's a phenomenal story. If you haven't checked it out, you need to do that. It's uh, back in 2011, I believe. Phenomenal. All of those people came together now, some of you remember the Chilean miners, 33 miners who were trapped underground for much, much longer. And it's a very interesting story when you read about the infighting that happened at the beginning down there in the cave. And then how they all started to pull together and how they simulated night and day with their, their flashlights. And how they started every day with a collective word of prayer and how they used what little food that they had. And all of the, from the outside, all of the attempts that were made Many, many different ideas and, and drills and, and locations and, and, and operations. They could not figure it out. And finally, 
they were able to rescue every single one of those Chilean miners. Why is that? There's something that happens in a crisis where people realize that this is more important than what I think of you. This is much more important than how we do it. It's more important. Why? I want you to take your Bible and go to Philippians chapter 1. All those people were able to work together because they had a common goal, and that was to rescue 13 lives who were going to die. Their common goal was not about getting along together. They got along together for the goal of reaching those 13 helpless people. Here's what happens in Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 15. This often happens when we decide to get the gospel out. He said, we're supposed to be striving together for the faith of the gospel. Here's what we do. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. There is no place in the gospel ministry for strife and contention. There's no place for envy. We want to fight about who knows more about rescuing and who has a better way to do it. While souls are dying without Jesus Christ. There's a place for striving. There is a place for strife. It's striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's pulling together. What pulls us together? We say unity. Yeah, but unity around what? You see, unity is amoral. It can be used for good or for bad. The Lord tells us that at the Tower of Babel, the whole world was of one language and of one speech. They not only spoke the same language, they pronounced it all the same way. Which, by the way, is why family harmony is often so beautiful, because everyone says the same words in the same way. But that unity at the Tower of Babel was for what? For self-worship. The Lord came down and he said, nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. It was the, the, the thoughts of the heart of men were evil continually. They were unified together in their evil. I'll, I'll say this during Pride Month. Do you know the reason why there is such a thing as Pride Month? Because with all the LGBTQIA+, which I understand the plus is actually pedophilia. I had never heard that before. Something about, uh, about the special love. I don't know. If you're involved in that, you should be ashamed of that. You really should. Even if you ca- call yourself part of that group, you ought to be, you ought to be really thinking, that, thinking about that again. That's a, that's a wicked thing. The whole, the whole thing is sin in the sight of God. Whatever you take, whatever, whatever letter you want to put, L, G, B, T, you, you name it. It's all sin. Where? Not because I said so. And not because everybody thinks it's gross, but because the Bible says so. Right? Okay, but you know why there's a pride month? I'll tell you why. Unity. You know why there's a, a pride flag, which I'm not trying to be harsh or mean. I'm telling you, it's the ugliest flag in the entire universe. I'm sorry. It's just, it keeps keep adding stuff, adding stuff graphically. It's disgusting. Okay? Not even speaking about the sin. It gets graphic designers. Let's do better. Okay? What, what do you think? How about get rid of the whole thing? But you know the reason why? is because they keep adding, 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 all pulling, 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 pulling towards the same thing. Which is what? Which is sin. 
My sin is okay. And you can't tell me it's not. I, I'm not afraid of my sin. I'm going to Harvey Milk. You know Harvey Milk? He, he, back in the 70s, he said, we're going to take it to the streets, baby. And he went out there and a bunch of those people got beat up. They got hurt. Why? They stood together arm in arm for wickedness. And God's people can't stand together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to argue about, well, what kind of tanker are you going to use when you dive in there? Tank, I tried that. It's okay. Not great. Not great. Yeah, I like to use this scuba apparatus myself personally. Oh, I tried those flippers. They don't work. People are dying. Is this, are, we, are you with me this morning? I know it's after, a week after Bible conference, but guys, do you, do you get the analogy? See what I'm saying? We're going to fart. Fart. We don't want to do that. <laughs> Thank the Lord. You will take something from this message. Oh my, Jeff Rains, you never heard that. Anybody got that on a meme? We're already talking about social media. That'll, that'll fly. It was eventually going to happen at some point. It was going to happen. But here, here's the thing. We, we want to fight. There's the word. About the kind of equipment we're using, how long we've been in training, the places that we've gone to dive, the fact that we're hungry, the, the, the fact that, that, that somebody should have seen this coming when people are dying and going to hell. And if you really care about that, you can set aside your equipment preferences you, you can set aside even your chain of command concepts and your pride that says, I've been diving for years. And you can just set that to the side and say, let's think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let, let, let's think about the fact that we were all hell-bound sinners, lost on our way to eternal damnation. And, and we didn't come to him. He came to us. And, the, and when we were, the, the, the God of this world had blinded the minds of each of us. But the light of the glorious gospel shone in our hearts. And because of that, he has changed not only my present feeling today. He has not only fixed my marriage problems. He's not only helped me to pay my taxes and to be a good citizen. No, no, that, all that stuff was just extra bonus thrown in. What he changed was my eternal destiny. I was on my way to hell. Now I'm on my way to heaven. I don't have to go to hell. Do you believe in hell? I mean, that's a bad place. We can't even imagine it. You, you can't imagine it, how horrible it is. And Jesus Christ rescued me from ever having to go there. And I stand in his amazing grace today. And my desire is to tell other people how to do that. And God wants every single member of Hope Baptist Church to be regularly involved in getting the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. We have opportunities and services that facilitate your Christian growth and spiritual growth. But a lot of Christians want to say this. Oh, I want to come and hear the message. But if you ever challenge me in any other area, I'm out. I am so out. Why? I'm not interested in striving together for the faith of the gospel. Just I'll show up, make it a good one, make it funny. You know, say a word that I'll never forget you said. <laughs> I'm in for that. But beyond that, 
I'm not ready to make everything in my life an ornament of the gospel. I want the gospel to maybe someday, if I really feel bold, I might say, like, Jesus loves you to somebody. And by the way, if that's where you are, that's a great place, and you need to take that step. But for some of us, shame on us. And then we spiritualize it and call it the last days. And we say people are hard. You know how many people say that they work and serve Christ in a hard area? Lots of them. Why? Because there's a lot of hard areas. And I submit to you, wherever you decide to serve God is going to be a hard area. It's going to be hard. You know, I'll tell you this further as a church. Some of what we've experienced as a church, not all of it, some of it, is because of the emphasis on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? It's hard to do. In fact, it's impossible. You cannot live your best life trying to bring the gospel in as a little badge. It'll be cheap. It'll be hypocritical. It'll, It'll be thin, shallow. It won't fit. You've got to say, Lord, I want to get rid of everything that I consider important in my life, and I want to put the gospel at the center. Why do I go to the why? So I can meet someone, befriend them, and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do I go to the same checkout at Kroger? Because I want to meet that person. I want to get to know them over the course of, 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 of five months, six months, and I want to tell them that Jesus loves them and died for them. Why, why do I have the hobbies that I have? Why do I go down there and do that? Because I want to meet people. And and why do I go to the street? And why do I hold up signs? Because I want my life to ornament the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want people to say, hey, Jesus looks like he's worth having. Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5.14. You know, one of the things I'm praying, you pray with me about it. Man, I, having Brother Brad Wells in here gets, kind of gets on my nerves because I realize what a jerk I sound like after him. Isn't he smooth? He's so nice and kind. But guys, i got to be who I am. And if I offend you and how I'm saying it and all that, I, I really, I have, I have prayed about this. I have no desire to offend you. But I do want to exhort you. I do want you to think about this. And please don't take my personality as a stumbling I hope I'm not a stumbling block to you. If I could be smooth and nice, I would. This is me. And, it, and it's not that I don't love you. It's not that I don't care. I do. But I honestly, earnestly believe this is what God wants every believer to do. It's not going to all happen at the same time with the same people in the same way. It's not. And we should not throw it out because of that. I'll get to that more in a minute. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, he says in verse 14, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Constraineth us. What's that? That's like me with my dog on a leash. Right? Constrains that dog. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. How many were dead? All. Verse 15, that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. He died for all, but there's only some people who have received him, and those people should not live henceforth unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, because of the fact that my life is not mine, and that he died for everyone, only those, however, who have received him and believed the gospel... 
are in him, those people should not live for, uh, live for themselves. In verse 16, wherefore, because of that truth, henceforth, from now on, know we no man after the flesh. This is not about what we look like. This is not about our outside appearance. He says, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. This is a spiritual kingdom that we are in. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. His love for us holds us together. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. You see, it is the love of Christ that is sufficient to pull us together. It is not the fact that we all think the same way, or all come from the same background, or all have the same personalities. Of course we could not. And any church that insists on that is going to be named Telephone Booth Baptist Church. You cannot have a church of any group or any size whatsoever without introducing different kinds of ways of thinking and personalities. What pulls us together? Not coming from the same educational background or the same side of the tracks. Not having the same upbringing or being led to Christ by the same church. No, what pulls us together is the love of Christ. That is what constrains us. And why is that? Because God himself is pulling us to him. He's reconciled us to himself. And now he says, if you're going to have my heart, I'm going to be pulling other people into this thing. Christians say, I, well, I love the fact you pulled me into your family. I ain't got time now to be talking to other people. I tried that back there, and it's hard. Listen, I understand it's hard. But you cannot change the heart of God to fit your preferences. The heart of God is a fixed position. And that is, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No, you don't go soul winning 24 hours a day. Sometimes you need to sit in church, you need to be taught. Sometimes you need to sit and cry and pray with a brother or sister. Sometimes you need to go visit those who are sick and, and, and infirm. You need to connect with people. Sometimes you need to sit in a class and you need to understand intellectually more about the Word of God. But underneath all of that, the consistent rhythm, the timing that you feel is the heart of God that says, Come, come, come. He's pulling everyone in. He pulled you in. And now, now that He has you in, He wants you to pull other people in. He uses us as his arms, his legs, his hands, his feet, his heart to the world. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And what does he do? He's committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. If you're not careful, this is going to take over your entire life. Exactly as God intended it. Why do you have a job? Not so you can make money for your family. God provides for your family. He's going to use you to see those people one to Christ. What is your job? It's a mission field. It's your mission field. I hate my job. Can't wait for the weekend. But I love church. Hey, listen, that's, we're all going to feel that in this because this is a wicked world, is it not? The pressure, the satanic pressure that we feel on a regular basis will crimp your soul and tighten it up and choke it out. 
We need to be at church and it's a blessing, but don't flip it to where you're a spiritual person that looks to the weekend for a different reason than the unsaved person. Maybe look at your job as your opportunity. You're going into the lion's den. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. He's going to be right there with you. You see, God is going to use you in your sphere of this world to see souls one to Christ. What pulls us together? The word of reconciliation, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. What God would say if he were standing here, Jesus Christ himself, the son of God said, and since neither God the father nor Jesus Christ are here in spirit, we stand in their power and in their stead and say, please be reconciled to God. And he says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Your lost door, your lost next door neighbor, your coworker that's filthy. He or she could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Why? Because he who knew no sin came down and was made sin so he could give his righteousness as a free gift. That's why we go. To say, Jesus Christ can change your eternal destiny and he can make you a son of God. What a privilege. Why should we strive together? Because we're in the same family. Because we need each other. Because the lost world needs the synergy that we provide when we work together. Finally, this morning, I'm going to ask you this question. How as a church are we going to strive together? Well, we're going to use some of these things that I mentioned. First of all, consistency. The the priority ought to be first, but I cannot make it priority in your life. I can only work on my life, and I have my own failures and struggles. I'm going to make it a priority for myself personally. Consistency. This is going to take a long time, church. We must take the long look. You can't just put the seed in the ground and then wait for it to come up. It's going to take a while. Number two is prayer. This is going to take a lot of prayer. We're going to make some adjustments with our prayer list. We're going to start praying on purpose for evangelistic opportunities. We can and we should pray for those who are physically hurt, but we must not neglect those who are spiritually without Christ. Prayer. Number three, unity. This is going to take a lot of teamwork. Every believer believes, they tend to believe that his or her personal style of evangelism is better than others. And can I say, that is true because you have a different personality than I do. The proper order is this. My personality, yielded to the Holy Spirit, working with other believers, acting in boldness. My personality, yielded to the Spirit of God, working with other believers, acting in boldness. That doesn't mean you always have a group conversation. It means that whatever I do, yielded to the Spirit, I will not contend with other believers. I will work with other believers to see souls one to Christ. And then I will act in boldness. 
See, the devil tries to call us. If he can't get you uh, your salvation, and he can't, thank God, he will try to get your joy. And he will try to keep you from fellowshipping with other believers. If you'll humble yourself to the Lord and to each other, I believe this. I don't have a particular strong skill in seeing folks pray a prayer and get saved. I, I, I have seen that, and I am working toward that. But I tell you this, I believe that God has given me the wisdom, uh, or I, he has given me the ability to pull people together to work together. I see that as a strength that God's given me. I, I love to lead choirs, and I love to, to lead orchestras. Why? Because it means all the varied instruments, all the varied voices are pulling together to make a beautiful sound. God's given me that as a coach, as a pastor. I feel like in some ways God's called me as uh, Chuck Daly with the Dream Team, 1992 Dream Team, to pull together a gold medal. You're the Dream Team. Hey, you may not be Michael Jordan. Maybe you're Clyde Drexler. Maybe you're Chris Mullen. Maybe you're Larry Bird. You have, you say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Look, don't worry about it. The best of the best. They all pulled together. And you know what happened this? What happened when the dream team came together? They're talking about the top tier players in, in NBA history. Carl Malone. Man alive. These guys were John Stockton. They were top tier. Not just in their era, but, but beyond their era on either side. Really good players. They came together, and their goal was, this, we, we've been losing in the Olympics. We've embarrassed ourselves as American basketball players. The, the country in which Amer- uh, basketball was invented, we're embarrassing ourselves on the national stage. We're going to hire Chuck Daly. He's going to come in, and he's going to help us. You know what Chuck Daly did? The very first thing he did was bring in the Duke Blue Devils to play the dream team. No, no media allowed, no reporters. Shut the gym down. Let's go. And guess what happened? College team won. You know why the college team won? You you know why, of course. Because they worked together. None of those players were better than any one of those players in the NBA. Every single NBA player was a top draft, draft pick or had become one of the top performing athletes in the NBA. And as a result, they were called, brought together, invited... Only Isaiah Thomas was given the shaft, but everybody else was, was, was invited because they deserved to be there, and, and they were all better than any of those guys individually. But the problem was they all cared more about their own way of doing it and their own style of play and their own stats that a college team ran them out of the gym. So Chuck Daly said, we're going to erase the scoreboard, and we're going to open the gym and let the reporters in, and now let's see you guys play a game of basketball. And one other thing, they brought Jordan off the bench. He didn't play him in the scrimmage. But they routed the college players at that point. You know what? sometimes what happens in our lives? We live individual, and we get our, 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 our successes, and we get our wins and our way of doing things. And I'll tell you what I do, brother. I'll tell you what I do. Good, you should do that. But if the way that you do it causes you to be lifted up in pride, Paul said, puffed up for one against another. Paul and Apollos Cephas, Christ, puffed up for one against another. If anything that you do in evangelism causes you to be puffed up for one, and you look at them like they ain't doing it right, you're carnal. You're carnal. You may be a superstar on your team, but this ain't your team. This is God's team. And God may humble us. 
God may cause us to be run out of the gym. Why? Because of pride. But if we'll work together, by the time they hit Barcelona, (laughs) oh my soul, 1992 Dream Team was killing teams, embarrassing them. Other players were just happy to be on the same court with them. And I'll never forget seeing David Robinson with that gold medal around his neck. Now that's a specimen of a man right there. They all stood with joy, and they had humility as well. Yeah, they're arrogant Americans. You can't get that out of us completely. But they had joy in their hearts, knowing that they had done their best together. I'm emphasizing this church because as believers, I've watched, I've been here for 18, uh, it'll be 19 years in August. I've watched. I've seen. I've been a part of it. If we're not careful, we can polish our own medals, remembering how other people weren't there. God wants us to pull together. That you stand fast with one mind and one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Variety. Different kinds of evangelism. There's seed sowing. There's regular gospel meetings, there's public testimony, there's special events, and there's something I call endeavor. Let me explain these very quickly to you. And I want you to pray about this, and we'll tell you more about this as we go. Seed sowing, that's getting out the word of God in mass quantities. Starting on this Thursday at 7, we're going to hold six weeks of seed sowing. We're going to put John and Romans in bags, and we're going to hang them on doors. And some that want to can knock. Those that don't feel ready for that can put it on the door and keep moving. We're going to do that for six weeks at seven every Thursday night. If you can help from now till Thursday, we need help stuffing bags. Let me know. Let Brother Caleb know. Let Mrs. Deering know. We will we'll, we'll put you to work. We have to get those bags stuffed for this Thursday and the following weeks. We have a whole bunch. There's a verse that keeps ringing every time I go in the garage. A bunch of John and Romans. And the, the verse from Amos is the seed yet in the barn. Right now it is in the barn, but we're going to get it out. That's mass, mass evangelism. There's regular meetings. It goes on all the time. Nursing homes and jail ministries. We have folks saved on a regular basis in the prisons and the jail ministries. Those are gospel meetings. People are coming on purpose to hear the gospel, many of whom are unsaved. There's public testimony. Standing unashamedly in public for Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to announce some of those dates for public ministry or you can come. If you're interested in doing that on a regular basis, Brother James, uh, Brother James Kelly can tell you. He's right over here. Raise your hand, Brother James. He's involved in that on a regular basis. We'll be doing that as a church here in the next couple of months. There's, and next Sunday, we'll be worshiping the park, a form of public evangelism. We'll have a, 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 a microphone out there, a PA system. We're going to sing songs of joy, uh, praise to the Lord. We're going to preach the gospel. There are special events where we target specific groups for a specific time, such as our Christmas musical coming up. We're going to do our best to just flood Toledo with an invitation to come to that. We've had in the past a float in the parade. We, uh, we've never done this since I've been here, uh, having a booth at the fair. would like to do this. And I'll tell you, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but it's indicative. I talked to somebody once about, let's do a, fair, a booth at the fair. And they said, not Lucas County Fair. That's, that's a nasty place. Every fair I've been to has been kind of really weird. And I just thought it interesting 
that we'd rather go to a nice place where there's a nice fair so we can have a nice booth. But God didn't didn't call us to that. He called us to Lucas County. This is where our church is. Hey, Toledo ones are rough and tumble, aren't they? Blue collar. Hey, tattoos, smoking, drinking, whatever it is. God's called us to these people here. Amen? Hey, listen, that God, God, God needs to reach the rich people, the nice, nice town, you know, the farm guys and all that. And by the way, any, far, any fair has weird people that come to it. I can tell you that. Am I, am, any personal testimonies out there? The weirdest people come to fairs. But God's called us here. Hey, I heard of a, of a church yesterday. They did something at their church. One of the weirdest things I ever heard called a Renaissance fair. They held it at their church, and they had different, different booths different things, and they had at some point the, the quest for the lost book. Now, maybe some of you are nerding out about that. I don't know. You know, they have turkey legs. They got the whole thing. They said they had three people saved yesterday at their Renaissance Fair. You know why? It's not about, well, I have, what, that's weird. It's not about doing something weird or avoiding something weird. It's figuring out how best we can get the gospel at the people where they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and respond and believe. That's what we're looking for. Events. And then Endeavor. This is one that's been going on uh, privately with the staff for more than a year, about two years. We meet on a monthly basis, and we talk about who we are intentionally developing a relationship with to try to lead them from friendship to faith in Christ to fellowship with other believers. And we've worked at that for two years, and we've got people in that pipeline. You see, none of these are to be done to the exclusion of others. Your personality may fit best with one, but I can tell you this. Uh, if you got saved, you got saved by a personal Savior. God wants to bring you into close proximity to a lost person. If that scares you to death, it's okay. It's okay. You may not be able to start by preaching on the street, but I can tell you what you can do. You say, I can't walk around, I can't do it. You can come to the church this Thursday night, and you can come and sit on these pews or kneel at this altar, and you can pray and pray and pray. And not just pray random things, but pray specifically for specific people that God would do specific things with hearts. You can turn that into your prayer life ministry, your outreach of evangelism ministry. Every single one of these methods, by the way, has a strength, and a weakness, a pro and a con. God never said, this is the proper way to do evangelism. Anytime we try to nail it down and say, this is it, this is it, it typically lines up with our personality or what someone else has said, and that's okay. Once again, God's given you a personality. He doesn't care how you get the gospel out in that sense. He cares that you do get the gospel out. And don't let the weakness of someone else's uh, form of evangelism keep you from engaging in this all-important work. I want to give you some homework. Don't typically do this, but I want to give you some homework. I want you to be ready to give your testimony. Do not worry. I will not call you out until you come to me and say, I'm ready. I will not, I will not point you out. I do this sometimes. I have fun with music and all that. Call people out and joke. and I will not do this to you. But I want you to do this. I want you to write out your testimony. And I want you to include three things in this. Number one, your religion. What were you trusting in? It doesn't have to be your church or whatever. Were you trusting in your 
fulfillment of making yourself happy? What is it that you were trusting in before Christ? Your religion. Number two, the conviction. What made you realize that what you trusted in was not sufficient? Now, I'm going to have these hands out, handouts for you. You can go and you can, you can pray about it and work with it. Conviction. What made you realize you were trusting in what you were trusting in was not sufficient? Number three, salvation. What exactly did you do when you got saved? And you've got to include the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's, you can't get saved without it. So if you got saved, you have to include that somewhere. These three things. Why? Because he said, be ready always to give an answer to every man. You've got to be ready to give out the gospel. Now, giving out tracts is great, but guess what? Somebody else wrote that. And that is helpful, and that's good, and you should give them out. But you personally are saved by a personal Savior. And you should be ready to tell people. You say, well, I'm too embarrassed. you got a phone, don't you? You could write it out in a note, and then you could read that to someone personally. You could read that to someone publicly. You see, it's not so difficult. It just takes some focus. It takes some time. That's your homework, church. And don't worry, I'll be reminding you about it. We cannot, we cannot, hey, listen, if I'm going to encourage you to read the Bible, make it easy, facilitate it, here's a schedule and reminder to do it. That's the job of the pastor, to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's my job. I want to help you learn how to witness. And I want to tell you up front, this is not going to be a, hey, man up, get on, get on your horse, stop being a baby. That's not what it's going to be. I'm going to come along as a coach and I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to say, I know you've got it in you. You can do it. I can tell you this, you start, the place to start is in your prayer life. And you say, God, you help me. Please, I'm scared. I'm a wimp. I don't know anything. I've been saved for 25 years. I should know more. I don't. Don't worry about the past. Worry about right now. From this moment on, God, I'm going to lock arms with the people of my church. And we're going to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Every single member of Hope Baptist Church ought to be involved in regularly exercising himself or herself in leading the lost to the Savior. If you're a member of Hope Baptist Church and you'll promise to love one another, pray for one another, and work together to see lost souls one to Christ, would you raise your hand this morning? Those that are visiting, we're glad to have you here. You'd like to join the church, please see me. We'd like to, to help you with that. Our goal is to see lost souls come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you pray with us. God will give us grace and strength, and he'll give us the victory. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. The altar is open. I encourage you to come and talk to God. If you're scared by what I just said, and you think, oh, no, what's next? What's going to change? Listen, I can promise you from in the sight of God, my heart is not to hurt you or call you out or bully you. My heart is to help you. I want to see God give you some victory in this area. Here's a prayer I'd like to ask you to pray. Lord, Thank you for reconciling me to yourself. Help me to reconcile others to yourself. As the piano plays this morning, let's talk to the Lord.